Picture this. The Apostle Paul chained to a Roman soldier on guard duty while under house arrest. Now, if you helped with VBS this year, you probably have a pretty good idea of what this looks like. He's not allowed to leave the house to wander around at all in the capital city of Rome, and especially not allowed to go to meeting houses of the Jewish population. He's stuck inside for about four years in total, reliant on the written word alone to carry his message as far afield as he can. I suppose it's not so surprising then that he used this time to write at least four major letters that we have preserved in the Bible today. The so-called prison epistles of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. But as you might imagine, it can be tricky to be inspired even when you're Paul. There's only so much to see in your house, so much to read, only so much to take in when you're chained under house arrest, waiting on Emperor Nero to hear your case. And so you can imagine as Paul is dictating this letter to the Ephesians, that his eye falls upon his guard and the armor he wears. Aha, an idea. Now, a final word. Put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Put on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news. Hold up the shield of faith, receive the helmet of salvation, and take the sword of the Spirit. It's a neat depiction of spiritual readiness. When under attack from evil, these are the things that protect you. And if you know a bit about how the ancient world worked, it gets even a little bit cooler than that. The very first thing that Paul mentions is the belt of truth. And this is something of a euphemistic translation. The Greek literally reads, fasten about your waist with truth. Fasten what? It doesn't say. The word for belt doesn't appear, but fasten about your waist with truth. Waist, in this case, doesn't mean around the hips where we wear our belts today. Waist is around the midsection, which always confused me as a kid, but this is the waist. The Roman belt went just under the rib cage and had metal plates on it to protect just under the rib cage, to protect the spleen and the liver, as well as holding long straps that protected the rest of the front. But the belts would not normally have been put on first. This is a weird piece in this. But it could be the first thing that Paul saw looking at the guard, another piece of evidence that he's describing what he sees rather than putting on your full kit of armor. Additionally, the Greeks and Romans believed that your life and feelings were located in your liver and spleen. We say feelings are in the heart. They believed they were in the liver and spleen. Okay, a military belt protects these vital organs, so Paul is saying to protect your feelings, to protect your very life energy, the best defense is truth. Truth protects your life. The body armor or breastplate of God's righteousness is next. The torso armor was either chain mail or overlapping bands of metal that secured in the front. And underneath this area is, of course, the heart. 
which the ancients believed was the seat of thought, not feelings, but thought. You think from your heart in the ancient world. So Paul is saying that the best defense of your thoughts, thoughts, I've got to get this right, the best defense of your thoughts is righteousness. And righteousness is justice and mercy coupled together in the ancient idea. Justice and mercy together is the best defense of your thoughts. Next, Paul sees the sandals of the good news of peace. Sandals were important equipment. They allowed the ancients to walk in areas that they couldn't otherwise tread, just as shoes do for us today. The good news of peace, then, carries you into different and difficult places and allows you to stand without fear. In addition to wearing these armor pieces, your primary defense in the ancient world is the shield of faith. Now, Paul specifically mentions that this shield is able to stop the fiery arrows of the evil one. Faith, as Paul has said elsewhere, is a gift of God. Our work is not to make faith for ourselves, but to hold up the shield of faith in the way of evil and prevent its fires from raging. Two more pieces. Stay with me. We'll get through it. Receive the helmet of salvation. Now, there are two interesting things to note in this short description. First, the head was classically the seat of the soul. The soul belonged in the head. We even have the phrase from ancient times, the eyes are the windows of the soul. Windows, in this case, literally, that's where the soul was, the eyes see right through. Second, instead of telling us to take up the helmet, to pick it up from the ground, Paul says to receive the helmet, to receive the helmet, presumably from God. Paul is pointing out that your soul is protected specifically by God's action and not your own. Our salvation comes from God. Lastly, receive the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, everything so far has been for defense from an attack. Left for last is the counter to an attack. Again, it is received from God. It is not picked up, but received. And in this case, it is the words that God has spoken which are to be the defeat of the evil one. Paul is using a different word in Greek here, rhema, and not logos, which logos in John's gospel is, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's logos. Here Paul is using rhema. Rhema means a word or phrase spoken. It's different than logos. And coupled with the fact that this is the sword of the Spirit, it means that Paul is encouraging people to let the Spirit work through them, to speak God's words of hope and love to the world. He even goes on to say, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Prayer, not violence, is the means for Christians to defeat the schemes of evil in this world. Guard your life with truth. Protect your thoughts with justice and mercy. Prevent the spread of evil by holding on to the shield of faith. Trust that your ultimate salvation comes from God. Defeat evil by prayer and speaking God's word. That's the whole armor of God.
when evil rears its head like it did in Charlottesville last week, that's the time to put on the armor of God. Last Saturday, my mouth dropped open as my news feed on Facebook filled with image after image of protesters bearing literal torches and screaming hate-filled rhetoric. I was literally agape as I read the articles, posted as close to real time as the authors were able to do. Many of the protesters were wearing modern body armor and carrying plastic shields emblazoned with symbols of hatred. Counter-protesters arrived, both from local communities and from far away. And separation between the two groups was maintained not by police alone, but by members of private militia carrying assault rifles. The situation was ripe for a major clash between the protesters and anti-fascist groups both carrying clubs and wearing armor. How did we get here? I don't just mean recently. How can humanity have lived so long on this planet, but still not learned to love each other as fellow children of God? In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus offers a glimpse at how corruption happens. He says, what goes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And that's what contaminates a person in God's sight. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adultery, prostitution, thefts, false testimonies, and insults. This is something of the opposite of the armor of God. Instead of protecting life by speaking truth, those who speak falsely contaminate themselves and those around them. Instead of upholding righteousness, justice, and mercy together, those who think evil thoughts are agents of corruption and torture. Instead of withstanding the fire arrows of temptation through a shield of faith, those who break vows of relationship, whether of marriage, of friendship, or family, those who break vows of relationship are actively spreading fires that destroy and spread further. And so on and so on. Jesus' point is that moral corruption is so firmly rooted in humanity that only God can lift us up out of the spiral of corruption. Guard your life with truth. Protect your thoughts with justice and mercy. Prevent the spread of evil by holding on to faith. Trust that your ultimate salvation comes from God. Defeat evil by prayer and speaking God's word, the whole armor of God. The very next thing that happens in the gospel is one of the most challenging stories in the Bible for Christians today. A woman whose daughter is suffering seeks out Jesus, and the woman is not of Jewish heritage. Matthew says she is Canaanite. Mark that she is Syrophoenician, a fancy way of saying Greek The point is, she's not one of Jesus' own people. And Jesus ignores her cries for help. But she keeps trying. The disciples ask Jesus to get rid of her, and he says, seemingly to the air, that he was only sent to the people of Israel. Again, she asks him for help, and he speaks again, it is not good to take the children's bread and toss it to little dogs. She replies, Yes, Lord, 
but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. And with that, Jesus replies, Lady, you have great faith. It will be just as you wish. Lady, you have great faith. This is the only time in all of Matthew's gospel that Jesus commends anyone for great faith. Throughout the rest of this gospel, the disciples time and time again are called you of little faith, you of little faith. And here we have the one time someone is praised for their great faith. It's also the only time in all of Scripture where Jesus loses an argument. Well, except for the same story in Mark's gospel, but forgive me. She is the ultimate foil to the disciples for Matthew. Again and again, Jesus criticizes the disciples for their lack of faith, and here she is, an outsider many times over, a foreigner, not Jewish, a woman, yet she's the one person praised for her great faith. You can just picture the disciples with their mouths agape. Perhaps that was you when you heard this story for the first time. Whether Jesus was testing her or focused solely in one place of his ministry or genuinely changed his message after meeting her, we don't know. The Bible is oddly silent. But listen to this from Lutheran pastor David Lose. We do know that this woman did not retreat to silence, but spoke out, offering a testimony that rings down through the ages. See me, see me as a person, not as a woman or a Canaanite or a minority or a foreigner or someone from a different religion or as a burden. See me as a person and child of God. And he did. The question before us is whether we will. The Canaanite woman spoke up over the din of people proclaiming salvation for their people alone, over the silence from Jesus himself and made herself known. Though she was ignored and dismissed, she was eventually praised for her great faith. She wore the whole armor of God and broke down barriers, perhaps opening the way for us to see each and every other person as a child of God, worthy of love. Among the counter-protesters in Charlottesville were religious leaders and congregants from many different denominations and faiths who linked arms to prevent access to vulnerable people, sang hymns to drown out the nasty slogans and insults shouted by the protesters. And when a car was intentionally driven through the counter-protesters, Many of the religious leaders ran towards it to offer whatever assistance they could. That's what wearing the whole armor of God looks like in practice. Running towards danger, bearing good news of peace and wholeness, shielding others whether they shared their faith or not, trusting in God for salvation, and speaking words of righteousness and truth as the Spirit leads. In so doing, they showed God's love and care for all in the world, and not just for one group. They spoke up like the Canaanite woman on behalf of those whose very humanity was being questioned. Against the vitriol spewing from those filled with corruption and hatred, they put their faith in God into action and worked to heal the brokenness 
one of those people of faith made an impact, as reported uh, by journalist Jack Jenkins. Lisa Sharon Harper says she did a tiny bit of the work of justice and being in right relationship with those God hears and holds most closely on that Saturday. As she stood for hours in front of a line of militia members who were reportedly instructed not to speak with press or protesters, she says she began to wear one of them down. When she turned to leave to avoid increasing violence, she addressed the man in front of her one last time. I just want you to know we love you, she said. The man's face, grizzled and tired from the day, suddenly softened. After a moment, he replied, I love you too. My friends, one final thought. The Greek word for the love that God shows the world, the most perfect love, the love we can bring into the world through wearing the whole armor of God, that Greek word for that love is agape. Agape, spelled exactly like the word agape in English. Because when we find ourselves agape, it is imperative that we seek out agape, standing against racism, standing against anti-Semitism, standing against any ism that one person or group of people is lesser than any other group. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. puts it best. I refuse to accept the view that humanity is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. Guard your life with truth. Protect your thoughts with justice and mercy. Prevent the spread of evil by holding on to faith. Trust that your ultimate salvation comes from God. Defeat evil by prayer and speaking God's word. Put on the whole armor of God, turning agape into agape. Amen.